we've got a very special guest on today, Mike, haven't we? We've got a, a close friend, but also a real professional. Yes, the gentleman's name is Dr. Rahul Lakera, and he is a GP and a sports doctor. But I'll let him go through all of his qualifications when we <laughs> go through the interview. Unfortunately, Matt, due to mm. logistics and timings and all of us being busy men you are unable to make the podcast timings because we had to do it at night after both sets of our children were in bed so i know that you've listened back to the podcast and, and enjoyed the experience yeah i honestly listened to the podcast and i found it so interesting i really did and it was subjects that maybe that i'm I haven't got the expertise to almost talk about as well. So it was lovely to hear a GP's version of the subject, such as obesity. The coronavirus is an obvious sort of big threat at the moment, but then there are loads of other health issues that are also big threats, such as obesity, diabetes, that potentially are putting a strain on our NHS, not just the coronavirus. Yes, Matt. And it's nice to have had someone to come on with the background, with the training to give us an objective point of view, but also his own personal touch on what he feels are the issues and the struggles and some really good recommendations and suggestions that we can incorporate into our lives. Also, in this current climate as well, there are going to be a lot of mental health issues that come out of this, i.e. people living alone, losing their job and maybe struggling to deal with this current situation. So I think he touches on that, doesn't he, Mike? Without giving too much away, it's a topic close to all three of our hearts, I believe, and mm. it was nice to, again, get that personal touch. Mike, he's worked with, I believe, a professional rugby team before as a team doctor. He's a man is very modest, and I had literally to force him to list his training qualifications <laughs> on his podcast. So, uh, yeah, he's, he's experience of professional sportsmen both in rugby and in football which is great to get an insight into that world and how we can relate it to our world with some really good suggestions and ideas to help us if we are looking to up our training a little bit perfect mike i will be back next week fully on the podcast and i believe mike we are going to talk about competing within fitness is that correct that is a topic Having competed alongside you for a number of years, I'll be looking forward to hearing your training tips and tricks. And before we go, Little Bird tells me that someone's birthday this weekend. Is that right? Yeah, and I always make sure my birthday isn't just today, Mike. It isn't a weekend. It's a week celebration. <laughs> I think after the last few months and all the effort you've put in, keep your clients and customers going. You deserve a good week. So I'll look out for the... Instagram stories, yeah, how it's gone. And I'll leave you with the quote is, if it's your birthday, I always say, if you're going to go swimming, you might as well get wet. Welcome to Chewing the Fat with Melf and Grimmy. Two PTs talking about life, inside and outside of the fitness industry. Our special guest today, like me, is a father of two children. So it's 8.45 in the evening. Our kids are both down and we're able to get some quiet time to talk and help you guys out. Without further ado, 
I'd like to welcome Dr. Rahul Lakera. How are you, young man? Hello. Hi, mate. I'm good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, great. Warm and a little bit tired, but it could always be worse, right? Hot and steamy. <laughs> yeah, that's right. For those of you who don't know, I've known Rahul since I was 14. Me and him met at school in Rochester. And since then, we've been close friends. I've had the pleasure of seeing this young man develop and turn into a fantastic medical professional. I will let him tell you all about what his accolades are to date. So, Dr. Lakera, over to you. Too kind, Michael. Too kind. Watched you develop as well. You're a wonderful man but, and great PT. But yeah, about myself. So I'm a, a GP who specializes in musculoskeletal medicine in particular and a sports doctor. So to sort of give you a bit of background on the sort of journey I've been on professionally, I did five years of medical school at Nottingham University after school. Then I moved up to Yorkshire because my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, she's from Yorkshire, so I followed her up here. And I did two, my two junior doctor years in Bradford, and that was in Bradford and Halifax, sorry, in Huddersfield. I then did three years of GP training in Wakefield. In 2012, I qualified as a GP. And then after that, I did a sports and exercise medicine diploma at Bath University for a couple of years. Since then, I've had a variety of GP jobs at MSK roles. Sorry, MSK is musculoskeletal. And I got into professional sports. So I was team doctor at Bradford Bulls Rugby League Football Club for one year. And then I was assistant first team doctor and academy doctor at Leeds United Football Club for four years. Around this sort of time I got into sports, I became very interested in lifestyle medicine. So I've kind of self-taught myself lifestyle medicine through various books, podcasts, courses. I've, you know, gone on acupuncture courses and things like that. So I'm, I am more on the alternative spectrum. But now my current role is as a, a GP, the musculoskeletal clinical lead at One Medical Group in Leeds. And I'm one of their lifestyle medicine doctors as well. So yeah, that's me. Wow, that's a nice long list to go through. And it's important for everyone to fully appreciate how hard you guys have to work and train to get to where you are. And during these times, it's nice that, especially the NHS, are being appreciated a lot more for what they are as professionals and how hard they have to work to make sure that we're taken care of. So the first question I was going to ask you, and we can't really ignore the elephant in the room currently with COVID-19 pandemic, and taking into consideration alongside the government guidelines, could or should people consider controlling aspects of their personal health, say for selfish and unselfish reasons, like putting less stress on the NHS and also just improving their own personal health? I just wanted to get your take on that. Looking at the question, I would split that into two parts, really. So the first half of the question where we just look at controlling aspects of personal health, this hasn't changed, really. To think that people are more aware of it because of COVID-19 and the limitations we have in our daily life now. But in reality, this has been causing a massive problem with the NHS for ages. I remember when I first qualified as a junior doctor and I worked in Bradford, very busy hospital, and the medical admission unit would just be absolutely chocker, like absolutely rammed. But rarely would you have to see patients in A&E. Everyone generally got a bed. A&E would be really worried because they'd be really busy, but everyone, yeah. everyone would get a bed. And then within a year or two, so within my first, my second year as a junior doctor and first year as a GP trainee, when I was working hospital there, that's when things really shifted. All of a sudden you were clerking patients and talking to them in corridors in A&E. 
mm, you know, wow. instead of like in, in rooms. And that's when it really became apparent just how under pressure the system was. Mm. Uh, and that's just gradually got worse and worse and worse. So I think with that in mind, we have all got our part to play in reducing the strain on the NHS. Studies have shown that in terms of musculoskeletal conditions you see in clinic, 75% of those are, are presentations are lifestyle related. Wow, um, 75%. So things, yeah, so that's things you can change yourself. And anecdotally, if I think about my GP work, and I'm not, I've not done a proper audit, but if I think about what I see every day, I'd say probably 60 to 70% of what I see is lifestyle related, whether that's mm. blood pressure, obesity, heart disease, yeah. osteoarthritis, depression. So I think, um, yeah, we've all got our part to play. But looking at the second half of the question, the sort of unselfish, selfish reasons, this is my own personal opinion, but I, I'm a big believer that health of a nation is generally determined by the socioeconomic issues going on in that country. Mm. And without making this political, there's no doubt that NHS has been underfunded for a long, long time. I'm not going to go into governments and who's done what, but it's been underfunded for a long, long time. Now, we weren't expecting a global pandemic to come, but when you consider how broken the system is and how underfunded it is in general, they do the best job they can, but how underfunded yeah. it is, mm. I think it's no surprise that coronavirus is going to have its effect. But I mean, oddly, saying that, the first four weeks of coronavirus was the quietest I've ever been. I mean, A&E doctors were saying it's quiet. Yeah. Pediatric doctors, I know, said it's quiet. GP was quiet. Obviously, that's changing now. It's getting busier now. And I think the fallout mm. from coronavirus is going to be massive. I think it's going to be a very tough six months to a year post this. Yeah. As a Western country, we've got one of the greatest inequality gaps in the Western world. Wow. There are not yeah. many countries that have got higher gaps than we have. Mm. That might maybe explain why we're struggling with numbers, possibly. Like you mentioned, about 60% of it is lifestyle related so one thing that we can do is increase our daily movement and as you know one benefit of exercise is the release of endorphins as well as many other things and for individuals what other options would you say they've got to help with just improving their health in general and also reducing their stress for those who can do a little bit of exercise i think movement is key like you said when you look at the six to seven blue zones around the world where there are people who have got the highest level of centenarians, so people who are aged 100, and when you look at them, they're people who are not only obviously of a certain age, but they actually live a very good lifestyle. Like they're still having sex and doing DIY and yeah. farming and all that. What, uh, 100 years old? Yeah, yeah, they're still still doing, you know, old, old wow. Silvio in Italy. <laughs> <laughs> Silvio the stallion. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But uh, no, they're people like that. And I think when yeah. you look at these people, if I just name them for you, the places are, and oh, I'm going to miss a few here. It's either Sicily or Piopi in Italy, Icaria in Greece, and, and Nagoya, Nagoya? Or Nagoya in Costa Rica, mm. Okinawa in Japan. What I'm getting at is these guys don't go to the gym. These people aren't benching or squatting or doing hit classes or circuits or spin or playing football every night. But yet they're doing really well. I think movement is the key. They Daily move activity, often. yeah. Yeah, they, they move often. Like they might start mm. the morning with Tai Chi. Yes. In Ikaria, everyone's still far. In Nikoya, they're all fruit farmers. In Ikaria, they're all hill farmers. Mm. So you've got people over a certain age covering, I don't know, 10, 15K easy on hilly yeah. ground. And going back to what you said about 
Japan and I believe about 10% of their population is overweight or obese. And compared to England right now, being overweight and obesity is another massive issue we have in the UK at the moment. And reading a publication on the NHS website, it explained the majority of adults in England back in 2018, being obese or overweight were around 63%. And 28% of that was obese, which is scary. I mean, the proportion of adults who were overweight or obese among men were between 55 and 64, and women were between 65 and 74. How can we make an impact on the obesity crisis? Yeah, I think um, you've got to really understand what causes obesity and what causes you to get fat. We've talked obviously about the socioeconomic stuff, and the fact is that places that have less advertising and less fast food outlets per block will have lower rates of obesity by up to 30%. So that just shows you the power of advertising, the power of you know what's available. That's, a, like I said, a socioeconomic thing. What muddies the water, I guess, is the fact that a lot of big, powerful corporations are on the, are on the sort of guidance committees for lots of medical guidelines. So uh, you'll find McDonald's finds itself there and Nestle finds itself there and you think, mm. why are they there? What have they got to add? So there is an issue with pharmaceutical companies and the way they're treating people and have we got a sick care industry where we're making the money? That's a sort of socioeconomic thing. But going back to, I know we talk about Rangan Chatterjee, who's done a lot of good work, Dr. Rangan yeah. Chatterjee, and he breaks it down really nicely into things like diet, activity, stress, and sleep. And I think you can't go far wrong with that. And if you, if you take Japan as an example, you were saying about Japan, I mean, first, their diet's very different. They eat a lot more vegetables, they eat a lot more fish. Their sort of staple is sweet potato, but it's the, it's the purple kind, so it's full of antioxidants. It's very different to the yellow sweet potato we have here mm. in Europe. Their activity, like we said, is more than we do, whether yeah. it's Tai Chi. And again, it's not them busting out 30, 30 minutes in the gym. It's just general activity. They probably, like, they probably cycle more. They probably sort of commute, walk more in their commute. Yes, um, yeah. Stress-wise, they've got they work harder to get a group of friends, especially the females. The men aren't so good actually in that, but the females are. The females are very good at getting a group of three to four friends for life, for wow. sort of peer support. Mm. So having like say support group almost. So you're talking to your friends if you're struggling in Britain. We don't like to ask for help. Yeah, there's probably that stiff upper lip mentality. We're quite introverted yeah. at times. We're maybe not as open as some of the Mediterranean countries where. You walk five minutes down the block, they chat to someone, then another five yes. minutes down the block, they find someone else to chat to. You're not really like that. But mm. if you look at the science behind it, you can't run a bad diet. That's obviously a big issue. Yes. Yeah. And that will make you put on weight. If you're not active enough, you won't burn off the calories within that diet. Although, you know, I, I use calories with a pinch of salt because not all calories are equal. Mm. But yeah, if you're not active enough, you might not burn away the fuel you're eating. Yeah. But then stress, if you take in stress and sleep, if, you, if you're stressed and you don't sleep well, your cortisol hormone, which is your stress hormone, rises, and then that will immediately affect your blood sugar. Mm. So already you can see how I think for years we've really focused on diet and exercise, and I think we've not really touched stress and sleep. Mm. But in yeah. reality, in the Western world, we're on these 24-hour body clocks where we're all racing to get millions and we're all trying to work really, really hard. 
And we're all probably more stressed than we think. And it's not overt stress like the Second World War or being in the Serengeti and running away from a lion. There's lots of subtle little stress. It's, have you done the car insurance? Who's taking the kids to school? Social What's media stresses, little things like, yeah, you know. Yeah, social the... media. Our body doesn't really know how to deal with that. I think sometimes it's easier to run away from the lion because there are different ways to close stress loops. And we'll go on about this later. But one way of closing a stress loop is exercise. That's why exercise is so good. Oh, brilliant. It's hard to do that if you're receiving a horrible email from your boss on a desk. Yeah, and I think you know, the pandemic has allowed people to reassess their, their current work lives. And I've spoken to a few clients who've, who've mentioned having been locked down now, they've actually managed to reassess what different changes they can make in their, their work life balance. And me included, I've had time to reassess where I'm at and I know I need to make some positive changes. And especially with those proportion of adults seem to be overweight and obese as they get older, what advice can you give listeners to help avoid this happening to them? As a trend seems to be, as we get older, we, the weight goes on. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think the first thing is try not to be too harsh on yourself because the reality is a lot of this is out of your control. I know I went on about socioeconomic issues and the government before, and again, I'm not a Tory basher. I'm saying any government. This isn't just happening in England. I think the sort of way the West is going and the way advertising is and pharmaceutical companies, and it can be quite hard to sift away, you know, the wheat from the chaff or see the wood from the trees, like it can be quite hard. So don't put yourself under too much pressure. Some of this really is out of your control, but what you can control are those four things. You can control your diet. So can you eat food that's not processed and has not got a million ingredients and a shelf life of six months and actually has come from a farm or a food, a veg, you know, a fruit and veg shop can you be as active as possible and active regularly? So yeah. we know that sitting on your, your bottom for more than an hour at a time actually has really negative impacts on your body and the radicals and all the chemicals you produce to try and fight things like cancer and stress and yeah. even deal with bad food. Like you said on that, you don't have to be thin classes. It doesn't have to be circuit classes. The healthier countries are the ones who aren't relying on these sources of being active. They're the ones who are just generally moving better throughout the day, aren't they? Yeah, exactly. And so that, can you be more active and more, more consistently active? Stress, can you control your stress? Can you get some good mates around you? Can you make sure you've got good work-life balance, put things in mm. perspective? Can you find things outside of work that will keep you busy or keep your mind occupied or let you de-stress? And also sleep, like sleep is crucial. We don't really sleep enough in this country. I mean, at the moment, me and you don't sleep enough because we've got two young kids. But there's, <laughs> yeah. nothing there's nothing we can do about that. Um, <laughs> True. Those four things, yeah. if you nail them, you're going to get there. And one thing you mentioned as well is a stress thing and having worked from home and also being in the, the GP clinic too. Have you seen a recent spike in mental health issues, especially over the last few months with lockdown? And, and what would you advise is a solution at the moment to suffering mental health in regards to the stress of not only the COVID-19 but stress of lockdown and I know that I've had a, a bout of stress from it initially and in the past I've had some some mental health help in regards to dealing with some PTSD uh, when my son was in hospital so I was able to allow that training to help me to deal with the situation better rather than allow it to engulf me but people perhaps who are struggling at the moment firstly have you seen a, a spike in it and secondly do you have any solutions or medication or therapy 
such as CBT that could help people? Yeah, I mean, I've seen a definite spike in mental health presentations on the phone. I work at a couple of practices and I've seen them in both. So I think people have found lockdown really, really difficult. It's really affected the way they live. It's maybe kept them in unhappy situations more than they would like. It's, it's stopped them being able to self-manage, to de-stress by just, just the ability to go for a coffee and, you know, with friends and things like that. So, yeah, I've seen a massive spike in it. As to what the solution is, I'm not too, well, I sound not too prescriptive on this. I don't really judge on what route you take. I know that in the past, doctors have got bad rep because they prescribe a lot of medications. If I'm honest, I always tell patients that medication alone is not the answer. So if they think, and you could argue this is the same for anything. If you think a pill is going to improve things, then you're going to be in for a surprise really. And same for anything like diabetes or anything like that. But I think I would always suggest everyone considers a form of counseling, whether it be CBT, EMDR, I like you, Mike, have had you know similar counselling for something for as traumatic as yourself. But I think there's a lot of stigma in England about accessing talking therapy. Mm. Um, it's seen as a weakness, maybe, and that maybe goes back to our stiff upper lip sort yes. of, you know, yeah. get on with it, our kind of values. But somewhere like America, for example, you'd be looked at as if you're weird if you didn't have a psychiatrist in America. Mm. Everyone's got a psychiatrist, just what yeah. they do. I'm not saying they're necessarily happier than us. They're they're probably not happier than us. But everyone needs some form of talking therapy, whether that's with a professional, whether that's with a trusted friend, a partner. Mm. It's very hard to move on from situations unless you do work through it using books, colleagues, self-help, whatever. And then the medication's kind of just like a crutch, like an adjunct, something to add on that can be helpful to try and get you through a difficult period. But in reality, the medicine alone is not going to make much of a difference. I think it's you working through the actual problem by whatever means you can. And that's really insightful, especially touching on the fact that you've experienced the, the help as well. It's important that we're not afraid to talk about stuff. And I'm glad that there's a, a lesser stigma nowadays attached to mental health. And if we reach out, people are willing to help. And there's nothing, nothing to be embarrassed about. There's only so much we can deal with, well, within our, our own training, I guess. Going back to sort of the, the stress stuff, I mean, I think the stigma is reduced around mental health. Mm. It's, it's still not great. It could be a lot better. But people are more willing to talk more and share stories and share experiences. Yeah. But conversely, I think some of the ways that we used to deal with stress, they're still there for us to use, but we choose not to. So when you look at sort of closing the stress loop, like I said, exercise is one way of doing it, but also there's another side of your brain which, very, which responds to closing it through uh, cultural activities. So it could be cultural stuff, music, art. It could be crafts, some mindful activity, painting, drawing, whatever. Mm. It could be journaling, meditating, focusing on breathing, sort of you know, breath work. Even yeah. places we take for granted that I know in society, our generation probably don't think of, or maybe think are yeah. old fashioned, like the pub or church yeah. like these are things that people used to always have to go to and yes you'd moan about going to church or whatever but the truth is it was a very good way of meeting people without yeah. really trying too hard and you got an hour where i mean i'm not religious by the way i don't attend temple or church but when i when the rare occasions i do go it's amazing you do get an hour just to chill 
You get an hour to relax, be in your own thoughts. And where do you get that time again? Like you don't really, in in today's world, you don't really get that time anymore. Yeah. I think conversely, the way we used to achieve stress reduction, whether that's through, through the things I mentioned, we're going away from that as well. It's almost like, yeah, we're talking about it more. That's great. But we're, we can't really manage it as well anymore. It's almost like we're evening it out and we're not getting anywhere. What I like about that, you said, is having an hour or two where you're switched off. And one thing I've had to incorporate in myself is try to manage like 30 minutes a day to myself to switch off. If that means getting up a little bit earlier, so it's quiet in the house, or it's important just to have that time just to switch off completely and just allow yourself to almost reset for that second half of the day. Or it could be just time just to kind of meditating your thoughts sometimes i think it's important and takes us on to our next subject of performance and obviously having your time working at leeds united football club and various other super league rugby clubs obviously you've worked with a large amount of professional athletes and relating this to ourselves um, what health considerations do athletes need to take into account as their physical demand for exercise go up it could be if i decide to try and compete at a high level or if I've gone from goal of running a 5k to a half marathon so the demand on the body what considerations have these guys had to take into account when they decided to up their workload the first thing I noticed in professional sport was how people are always doing something and when you look at sort of Tim Gabbett and is it Tim Noakes's work on the, the acute versus the chronic workload ratio you realize that the people are just always doing something like even an off, even like a recovery day isn't you sitting on the sofa doing nothing. It's them flushing out and them doing a cycle or it's them doing some gentle rehab at the club and stretching. And basically that every day something's being done. There's very rarely a day where people don't train or do something. And it can be whether it's gym work, it can be whether it's work on the pitch, it could be like them doing a swimming session but something's always being done. So I think that's, that's the first thing. I think people try and jump up levels too quickly. And I mean, running is a good example. It, really, you want to gradually increase what you do week by week, like yeah. 10% a week, which isn't very much when you look at it. And that's basically slowly increasing your acute versus chronic workload. If, if, you're, if you make too, too big an acute jump, you get injured. If you slowly are building up but being consistent and regular yeah. so let's say you're doing three runs a week i don't know two runs a week with a long distance and then one sprint session a week and then right. you're gradually building that up by 10 percent each week then that will hold you in better stead than you just saying all right i've done i've done 1k this week it's time to move on to 2k i know we touched on last week's podcast about progressive overloading and strength training and same with cardio as well as so it kind of backs up a point that we made last week on the podcast and I guess a huge part of that is recovery recovery is is pretty much until you perform again I believe so with that being a huge part of sports performance and what can our listeners do to help with their post exercise recovery to maximize their recovery straight away and also future performances and that's based on dealing with the academy levels that you've done with and also the the guys in the first team especially at Leeds United some of these guys are really well looked after so that makes it a lot easier for them and I think you've got to be very disciplined to cover well and just go through the basics so I mean post-workout what are you eating what's your nutrition like when are you going to have it 
you're yeah. going to have it within the first hour of you finishing. There's sort of new thoughts around one of the dietitians of the England rugby union team who's based in the Northwest. He's a big believer that we shouldn't eat within the first hour. He thinks about inflammation things. But anyway, regardless of what you believe, are you eating the right stuff post-workout? Are you sleeping properly? Are you, yeah. you know, a lot of the athletes, they get game readies to take home or they get massaged. So they, they obviously have a, have one up in the, on Joe Bloggs, you know, me and you who want to try and recover. Yeah. I guess me and you, it'd be, are we foam rolling? When, it's funny, when you look at the science behind recovery, a lot of stuff actually hasn't got much data on it at all. Like, for example, uh-huh. ice baths. There's not really, when you, when you critically analyze whether ice baths, works or, why ice baths work or not, the truth is we don't know. But, oh, wow. But, but, <laughs> so you're telling me all some, those times I spent at university doing hot and cold showers after a game, you'd be like, in the showers, do half a minute hot, half a minute cold, five rounds of that. So you're telling me all that time was a waste of time. <laughs> I think a lot of this is mental. And I think yeah. that's where placebo you, effect, yes. you can really sift out the elite athlete. Yeah, and elite athletes, they've got the ability to go to places where a lot of us can't to mm. really push themselves and get that extra 10% out. But yeah. yeah, so we don't know. I mean, oddly enough, going on to foam rolling, foam rolling actually has got some decent data on it. And you think, to yourself, I mean, stretching hasn't, but foam rolling has, which seems odd. But oh. a foam roll, so little things like that, like whenever players would come in in the morning, they're all foam rolling. They don't even think about it. They don't stop it. They all foam roll and chat to each other. There's no, let's have a gossip in the, everyone, the first thing everyone does, they get a foam roller, they all stretch out and foam roll. Almost like part of their, it's like, isn't it? Like a professional mindset. And I'm not saying that we have to then, right, because we want to run a, a faster 5K, we have to then foam roll every day. It's not that at all. It's just comes back to your point about the things that we can control, like the sleep as much yeah. as we can and like the stretching and the foam rolling. We can, that's in our control rather than the, you know, we can't get massages every day. We can't have a chef have our food ready on the on the hour after we train but i guess we can control a lot of these other things can't we yeah exactly and i mean another one is technique can you control your technique for what you're doing but the truth is a lot of athletes actually haven't got very good technique they're just the best adapters for their sports and that's what i've got so far if you can get a better technique in what you do it'll obviously serve you well i always like to use this as an example so when you think of building muscle, a lot of people think of testosterone and growth hormone as two really important hormones in muscle deposition when you work out. Now, using them as an example, I hope this will paint a picture as to why you covering all the basics is important. So testosterone and growth hormone, their they're building block of those hormones is what we call LDL cholesterol. So that's a type of cholesterol that has been vilified for a long time in medicine where they think it was not, you know, it causes heart attacks and all that stuff. It doesn't. There's really interesting evidence showing that people over a certain age with high levels of LDL actually live longer than people who have got lower levels. Yet we give drugs to people to try and lower their levels of LDL. I mean, I personally don't. I don't believe in cholesterol drugs at all. But anyway, that's that's the first thing. So that's the diet section. And we all know that a lot of athletes eat healthy fats, you included. Um, That's the first thing. That's diet covered. You've got those building blocks, but you only produce the majority of testosterone when you're asleep. That's the other bit. So if you're not eating properly, you're not sleeping well, you're kind of behind the eight ball here. How mm. can you expect to put on the amount of muscle you want that your, your exercise is giving you? And then lastly, going back to cortisol, the stress hormone, cortisol is a top trump. It's a top trump hormone wow. because 
if you are stressed, your brain doesn't know whether you're stressed because you've got a text or whether it's because you're running away from the Romans. Your brain doesn't know that. All your brain knows is, hang on, there's an alarm going off in my system that there's a red alert saying cortisol's high, cortisol's high. Right, I better take all the building blocks I can. If I don't top trump all the other hormones and get all the building blocks I can function and I can deal with the stress, I might die. I might get eaten by a lion. Yeah. I don't know. So it's, I hope that, that paints a picture that it's all about the basics. And the one thing athletes yeah. do really well is they do the basics really well. They eat well, yeah. they recover well, they sleep a lot, they try and minimize stress. Mm. They do all the sort of technique stuff. They do all the extras, whether it's ice baths, foam rolling, yeah. certain supplements, whatever. Yes, some of it's placebo, but end of the day. Don't overcomplicate things and just focus on the basic things that we can control rather than all these fancy little tips and tricks that we, we can do on top, but that's not going to make the bigger differences. No, it's all about basics. And what yeah. I would say, it's about committing to them and investing in them. If you really want, and, I, and I'm guilty of this, like I'm, we've had an awful week this week with the kids and sleep uh, because you know, one's teething and one's kind of wet in the bed as well. But yeah. What about the kids, sorry? Oh, uh, what, what about the kids? I thought we got through the whole podcast with no abuse. Got to get him somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, carry Man, on, sorry. It's supposed to be private between me and you. Stop shaming me. I'm like, <laughs> but, um, what was I going to say? Yeah, I mean, really, I should go to bed at nine. But I don't, don't. I'll muck about on my phone. I'll read a bit. I'll, you know, chat. Before I know it, it's 11. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, I need yeah. to go to bed. But, so I think sometimes you just need to really commit and say, right, it's nine. I'm turning the lights off. I'm just going gonna, gonna to turn the lights yeah. off. If you're just logged on now to listen to this one we have a previous podcasts up on habits and creating habits and one of our previous podcasts is on habits too and on that note it's been an absolute pleasure thank you so much for making time and making a podcast is not helping your sleep situation now i appreciate mm -hmm. you uh, yeah. <laughs> taking the time out i know that you're on twitter so what would be your twitter name that people can follow you on yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not very active on Twitter, but it's, it's at Lacara Lacara. It's not very inventive. <laughs> Feel free to follow the good doctor. And is there anything that you want to conclude by saying at all? Just keep it simple, really. Yeah. I think we could all, we're all looking for gadgets or pills and potions that will give us the edge. But in reality, we have all the tools in front of us. Yeah. And we need to make use of it. Perfect. Thank you again, and we will log off and let you sleep, young man. Take care, you, stay man. safe. You too, my pleasure.